it's good to be here at Porchlight Baptist Church this morning on this day before Independence Day. Uh, one of my pet peeves is people calling it July the fourth. Happy July Fourth. Yeah, we're not celebrating July Fourth. We're celebrating Independence Day, and so <laughs> Happy Independence Day tomorrow. But it is good to be here. I'm glad to have those that's with us. Glad to have those watching online and those that listen later. I do have a message this morning, and it's not an Independence Day message. Uh, normally, the Lord allows me to preach one, but I just didn't, uh, not, not this time. So we are in Ephesians, Ephesians chapter 4, we'll be taking our text from this morning. Ephesians chapter 4, I'm sure everybody here was expecting me to tell you to turn to Romans, but <laughs> Ephesians 4, we're going to look at two verses, 31 and 32. Ephesians 4, 31 and 32. I've titled the message this morning, The Sin of Unforgiveness. The Sin of Unforgiveness. We'll go ahead and read our text. Ephesians chapter 4, starting with verse 31. And here the Bible says, Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice. And be ye kind one to another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another even as God, for Christ's sake, hath forgiven you. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you for the reading of your word this morning. Thank you, Lord, for uh, this service that you've allowed us to have today and this um, freedom that we have to, to gather together to worship. Lord, we're praying now that you open our minds and hearts to receive your word, and Lord, may it do a mighty work within us. And Lord, may it go out into this world and, and reach those without the gospel. For these things we ask in the name of Jesus. And amen. Well, here in our opening text, we have the Apostle Paul. He's given instructions to the church at Ephesus. Uh, just previous to this, he's speaking about how Christians must put off the old man and put on the new. And I've preached on that a lot of times. I like that, that portion of scripture. But he named off several uh, things of their former sinful selves. And uh, what they were to do now that they were saved, how they were to behave, and how, how they were to be, to be Christians and walk as a Christian, they're no longer to be the same way as they once were. In other words, it's instructions on how to live as a Christian. Now, a lot of Christians need that. Today, uh, one of the biggest downfalls of the church is lack of discipleship. People come in, they hear the gospel, they go down, they get saved, and the church drops them. Uh, never... never to you know, go alongside them and help them and teach them the ways of the Lord, and so they go out and and start getting back into the world and and uh, without any instruction, and the next thing you know, they're out of church, and uh, it just that's how it goes. Well, that's one of the worst things uh, of churches today. We need to be better at discipleship, helping those come along, and that's what Paul's doing with his church in Ephesus. He's helping them so that they're on the right track doing the right things, and he wants them to know this is something you have to work at. It doesn't come naturally. We're all sinners, and it don't come naturally for us to behave like a Christian. Even though the Lord lives within us and he guides us, the Holy Spirit is our compass and our conscience, uh, we still allow our own man, our carnal nature, to guide us in life. And so we have to make a conscious effort to live as a Christian should live. One of those things here that Paul is going to be speaking about is forgiveness, forgiving one another. And we'll focus on that here in just a little bit. But let's go ahead and look back at our verse again, verse 31. 
It says, let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice. Now, take a notice there is a list of things that the Bible gives us. Anytime you see a list in the Bible, pay particular attention to it. God's trying to get your attention. He gives you a list. This way you can go by and you can check things off. And that's what we like to do, isn't it? We like to have lists to check things off. Well, the Lord provides this list for us and names off several things there. Six of them, I believe. And uh, the first thing we, we notice there in verse 31, he talks about bitterness. Now, we all know what it means to be bitter, right? We've known people that are bitter. Perhaps we've been bitter in our lives. But bitter means putrid, uh, acidic, um, sour. That's the, that's the kind of uh, adjectives that you think of when you think about bitterness. But one of the most common usages for this word in the Bible is poison or poisonous. We find it used that way in the book of Revelation. Revelation chapter 8, verses 10 and 11. The Bible says, And the third angel sounded, and there fell a great star from heaven, burning as it were a lamp. And it fell upon the third part of the rivers and upon the fountains of waters. And the name of the star is called Wormwood, and the third part of the waters became wormwood, and many men died of the waters because they were made bitter. Now, where that word is used here in the book of Revelation, that word bitter doesn't mean sour or putrid or, or acidic. It means poison, poisonous. So this water that John has been given this vision of, and this is John's vision, John the, the apostle or revelator as we sometimes call him, God gave him this vision of things that's going to occur in the future. And all, he says, all these men died of the waters because they were made bitter. And that is the same Greek word that means poison. Uh, a bitter Christian is a poisonous Christian. And we worry about poisonous snakes. We have two here in our area that are poisonous. We have the rattlesnake and we got the copperhead. You get bit by either one of them, they're poisonous. Now these other snakes that we have, we got all kinds of them. We got black snakes, rat snakes, and <laughs> striped snakes, garter snakes. None of those things are poisonous. You still don't want to get bit, but you really don't want to get by, bit by a poisonous snake. You don't want to get bit by a poisonous Christian either. And let me tell you what, when a Christian becomes poisonous, they will buy it. And they will uh, cause you to, uh, to get this same poison. Uh, a bitter Christian is like uh, a, can a cancer or a canker, something that spreads. And it affects everyone they come in contact with, and they want it to. They want their bitterness to affect other people. That's why they're so bitter. Now, as a young man, my favorite subject in school was history. I wasn't a very good student back in, in elementary and high school, uh, especially math. I was terrible in math. Uh, I was an average, C average student. All my teachers said, Byron has uh, potential but doesn't, doesn't use it or uh, doesn't, doesn't uh, put forth effort or whatever. But when it came to history, I was a straight-A student. I loved history, especially American history, and particularly the Civil War era is where I like to study from. And so there was a lot of things that I would study about that uh, period in American history. And one of those, you know, I, I like those um, uh, Civil War heroes. You know, you got Nathan Bedford Forrest, and you got Stonewall Jackson, Jubal Early, all these men, Jeb Stewart, these were heroes of mine. But Robert E. Lee was the greatest hero of mine from the Civil War. 
Uh, he was a godly man. He had high moral character. And you may say, well, he fought for the South. How could he have? Listen, he was fighting for his, his state because his state was seceding from the Union. And uh, he felt it was his place to do that. But he didn't want to go to war with his uh, brothers and sisters. And so as I was studying about Robert E. Lee, I came upon this story that says that after the Civil War ended, Robert E. Lee was passing through Kentucky and there was a lady that owned a house on near the, the, uh, the a battlefield where they fought a lot of battles. And she had this beautiful tree in her front yard that she loved dearly. Well, she said that those stinking Union Army, they would come in there and they would battle and they would shoot and hit her tree. And it, all the limbs had come off and the, the trunk had been shot up, had holes all in it, it was dying. And it, she, it made her bitter. She was so angry. And so she pulled Robert E. Lee to the side, and she was crying and going on. She said, look, you need to do something about what they did to my tree. I've been mad about this for the last three or four years. I'm just I'm never going to get over it. And Robert E. Lee looked at her, and he said, Madam, cut it down and forget it. Cut it down and forget it. You see, he understood that she'd become bitter over something she had no control over. And that's usually where bitterness comes from, is something that we have absolutely no control of. Something that occurs in your life, some hardship, some downfall, something that happens, and it causes you to become that way. It wasn't anything of your fault, usually. Sometimes it is. But this lady had become bitter because of the damage that had been given to her property and her tree there, and she wanted to inflict that same bitterness onto Robert E. Lee. Bitterness is a choice. It's a choice. And you may not think that. When it happens to you and something goes on and you start becoming angry and then bitter about it, you think that you have to be that way, but you don't. It is a choice to be that way. You can allow circumstances and the things that happen in your life to take over your thoughts and make you bitter toward people around you or whoever was involved in it or even everybody. Uh, I'm reminded of someone in the Bible that became that way. She started out very pleasant and fair. Her name was Naomi. You may remember the story. There in the book of Ruth, Naomi, that's what her name meant. Pleasant and fair. She had it all. She had two sons. She had a, a husband. She had home. She had land. She had, she had it made. And she was living there in that land. And we all know the story. Her husband died. Her two sons died. She was left only with her two daughter-in-laws. Uh, it was Orpah and Ruth. And Naomi became very bitter angry. The problem was she was blaming God for her bitterness. She was blaming the Lord for making her that way. Listen to what the Bible says in Ruth chapter 1 verses 19 through 21. So they too went. Now this is uh, Naomi and, and her daughter-in-law Ruth. They're leaving the land there where they were at and going back to Bethlehem where they were from. Ruth 1 and 19. So they too went until they came to Bethlehem and it came to pass when they were come to Bethlehem that all the city was moved about them. And they said, Is this Naomi? And she said unto them, Call me not Naomi. Call me Mara. For the Almighty has dealt very bitterly with me. I went out full and the Lord has brought me home again empty. Why then call you me Naomi, seeing the Lord has testified against me? And the Almighty has afflicted me. Do you see that? She blamed the Lord like four or five times there. Don't you call me from my 
name I was given because I'm no longer pleasant. I'm no longer fair. I am bitter. I'm angry. And it was God that caused me to be this way. He's the one that did this. He testified against me. He's the one that sent me out full and brought me back empty. He's the one that took my husband, took my kids. And so I'm mad. She's what she's saying. I'm not the same person I once was. Why? Because she'd allowed bitterness into her life. She'd allowed all these circumstances that happened to her to make her bitter. Now, it was horrible stuff. It sure was. And I know it was. And it would be very hard for anyone to have to go through that. But she says, God's not been good to me. God's not been fair with me. And, and he's the reason for this. Well, the truth is the Lord did not make Naomi bitter. It was not him that did it. He don't do that to you either. God doesn't come down and mess with us. We're not puppets on a string that God decides one day he's going to get up and have a little bitter show with us. You know, I'm, I'm going to make them go through bitterness. I'm going to make them... That's not how God operates. He allows it in our life when we do it to ourselves. Sure, he's going to allow us to go through that. But in those times, we have a choice. We can remain bitter and stay that way all of our life, or we can understand that God's not the one that caused this and lean upon him to help us to get through it. I've known some people in my life that have lived an entire life of bitterness. I know a lady, she used to be part of our church, and um, she lost, I believe, two husbands. She lost uh, children. She lost nearly everything in, in, that she had in her life that she loved. And she's very bitter. Still is bitter. I don't think she'll ever not be bitter. I've talked to her. We prayed with her. We've we preached about it and everything. And she just cannot get over her bitterness. And it's affected her whole family. Uh, those that she still has, her sisters and cousins and, and everyone, she's completely abandoned uh, because she's bitter. Well, then after the Lord warns us against being bitter here in our text, he gives three more things that we're to put out of our life. Now, remember, this is Paul speaking to the church at Ephesus. Paul is the human penman. God is the author of the text. He's telling Paul what to write. And Paul writes this down because the Lord knows each of our hearts. He knows how these people are in Ephesus. And Paul is saying, this is how you used to be. You used to be bitter. And you used to have, look at the next part of it, wrath, anger, clamor, and evil speaking. These are, what, one, two, three, four more things that Paul says you don't need in your life anymore. You used to do these things, but listen, now that you're a Christian, we don't allow those things to take over our life. Now, we know what wrath and anger are. We use those words often, but what about clamor? Now, that's not something we hear in our everyday English usage. I've never used that word in my life, except when I'm preaching. But clamor, uh, that just, it means being loudmouthed and harsh and carrying on with a bunch of crazy nonsense, angry words. And it all goes along with that fifth thing, they're evil speaking. It all, it's all hand in hand. Uh, that sixth thing the Lord mentions, malice. You can take all these things that he's mentioned and wrap them up together, and that's what you got, malice. It means all manner of wickedness and evil is what malice means. And so, listen, as Christians, we're supposed to conduct ourselves as Christians, like we've got some sense, to be pleasing to the Lord. There's no wonder Christianity has become a laughingstock in this world because Christians act just like the world, sometimes worse than the world. We feel like that we have the right to do whatever we want. Well, I'm a Christian. 
<laughs> yeah, yeah, I can tell you act like one, and not in a good way. Uh, most Christians today go around bitter, angry, wrathful, full of harsh language, speaking evil of others. You get a bunch of Christians together, and you'll hear some of the most back-talking and, and uh, uh, gossiping that you've ever heard in your life through Christians. Uh, listen, I'm telling you, it's embarrassing. But the Bible tells us that we are to put that stuff away. Put it away. It's something we must consciously do. Uh, it's like when the Bible says, put off the old man and put on the new. That means you've got to make an effort of it. Every day when you wake up, are you going to live like a Christian or are you going to live like the devil? It's your decision, your choice. God gives us free will. How are we going to do? We're going to live for the devil or we're going to live for the Lord? Well, we better live for the Lord. And so, like I said, it don't come natural to us. And so we got to put forth an effort. Now look at verse 32 of our text back in Ephesians 4, 32. It goes on to say, And be you kind one to another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another. If you underline things in your Bible, underline those words, forgiving one another, even as God, for Christ's sake, hath forgiven you. And so now Paul writes to the church here things they're supposed to do in place of those things that they're supposed to get out of their lives. All those things there he mentioned. Kind, tenderhearted, and most of all, forgiving one another. And that's where we want to look and give you three things, and we'll be finished. Three things of why we must forgive others and why it is a sin, sin to not forgive them. First of all, you must forgive others because Scripture commands it. Scripture commands it. Notice in our text, the Bible does not say you should forgive one another, or you ought to forgive one another, or maybe you ought to or might or think about it. No, it states, and be ye kind one to another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another. There's no room to wiggle here. It is, it is a commandment. Black and white. You may say, well, Brother Byron, you don't know what he did or she did or they did to me. Uh, you have no idea what they did to my kids or, or did behind my back. They stabbed me in the back. You don't, you don't have any idea. And I cannot forgive them. They hurt me. I know another lady that used to be in the church. And she point blank told me that it was one of the, her grandparents had died. And as a lot of families do, they come together like a bunch of buzzards trying to pick off everything they can. And that's what happened. A bunch of them got together and started fighting and fussing and going on over what they left behind. The possessions, the earthly possessions. They didn't have a lot. But what they did, boy, they really wanted it. And so it caused a lot of family strife and grief. And one, one of the, the ladies told me, she said, I will never in my life forgive what they've done to me. Never. She'd become bitter over what had happened, over stuff. Listen, I know things are difficult when it comes to stuff like that. And that happens a lot. I've seen it a lot. Uh, there's a lot of greed in this world. A lot of people think they deserve everything. And... Uh, when a loved one dies, a parent dies, grandparent, somebody that leaves a little bit behind, it's, it's ugly. But I do know this. If you're a Christian, you have to forgive them. You must. It is commandment. Matthew 6, 14 through 15 says, 
For if you forgive men their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you forgive not men their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. Ow. That's difficult right there. Uh, are you still going to tell me you cannot, you will not forgive other people for what they've done to you? The Bible says that you must. And if you don't, he will not forgive you of your trespasses. Now that's scary right there. Listen, God is not obligated to answer any of our prayers as long as we harbor unforgiveness in our hearts. If we don't come to, come to him in repentance and repent of our uh, unforgiveness and, and forgive those that's done things against us, he's not obligated to answer anything for you. He's not. And listen, I know people say, Brother Byron, I, if I forgive them, they're going to turn right around and do the same thing. They're going to stab me right in the back and hurt me again. It don't matter. You still have to forgive them. And so how many times are we supposed to do this? Are we supposed to just let them keep on and on and on hurting us and doing things against us? Well, Matthew 18 and 21, the Bible says, Then came Peter to him and said, Lord, how oft shall my brother sin against me and I forgive him? Till seven times, seven times? Jesus said unto him, I say not unto thee until seven times, but until seventy times seven. You see, Peter is a lot like us. I love to read about Peter because he reminds me so much of myself. He's always sticking his foot in his mouth. He thinks with carnal mind. And so he just jumps out. He wants to know, listen, Lord, I know you said forgive people, but how many times I got to do it? <laughs> I mean, am I, is it seven, seven times? Let me know if it's seven times because you better believe on that seventh time I'm going to let him have it. That's, what, that's the way we think. And so the Jews had a tradition that said if you were to forgive others three times, that you were to forgive others three times. Peter went a bit further and said, what about seven times? But Jesus is not going to give him an easy out. No, Peter, not after seven times. And he told him, told him to forgive him 70 times seven. Now, does that mean we're to forgive people 490 times? Are we going to keep a checklist, keep a little pamphlet, and write down every time we forgive somebody, okay, that's number 48, you better watch it, or that's, that's, that's number 489. You've got one more chance, Buster, and I'm going to let you have it. And I'll never forgive you again. Is that what it means? No. 70 times 7 is a figure of speech, meaning endless, is what that means. An endless number of times. And so let's not forget that forgiving someone is not just saying you're sorry. You remember as little kids, you'd do something with your brother or sister, get in a big fight and be mad and going on, your parents say, go over and, and hug him or go there and tell him you're sorry. I'll never forget doing that with my sister. My sister Pam, me and her would get into arguments, fight like dogs, and dad would say, you go over and, and tell him you're sorry. I, and I'd go, because I knew if I didn't, dad's going to gonna beat me. He's going to whip me with that belt. So I'd go up to Pam and I'd say, Sorry. Turn around and walk off. I was not a bit more sorry than anything. I just did it to keep from getting a whipping. And so <laughs> forgiving someone is not telling them you're sorry and still harboring bitterness in your heart because you've not forgiven them. We can't be like a little kid. And so, listen, nothing goes by God. He knows all. The second thing here of how why we must forgive others is because if we do not, we are unable to worship God. We're unable to worship Him. Nothing gets by God. 
He knows our hearts, our minds, our souls, everything about us. And he knows we're harboring bitterness and unforgiveness in our heart. And when we are like that, our worship is meaningless. You might as well stay at home and, and not do anything. If you're going to continue to be unforgiving to other people, you might as well sit at home like a knot on a log or like a rock and forget about it. You're not going to be able to worship God as long as you keep that in your heart. Over Matthew 5 and 23, the Bible says, Therefore, if thou bring thy gift to the altar, and there rememberest that thy brother hath ought against thee, leave there thy gift before the altar, and go thy way. First be reconciled to thy brother, then come and offer thy gift. Offering a gift, and what it's speaking of, is coming before him in worship. Sacrifice and worship. We cannot do that. This gives us a good understanding of how God feels about fake worship. People come in, sit there, they put that fake smile on their face. I know I've got family members that do it. They can do it good too, buddy. They'll come in with the ugliest, meanest thoughts on their mind, and you know they've got them. And they can smile through those teeth, and behind those teeth there's a there's a, a snake ready to bite. And they'll put on that fake smile. I've known people like that. Still do. Listen, God's house is not a place to come in and pretend. You may fool everybody in the building, the whole congregation, but you'll never uh, fool God. If you harbor unforgiveness in your heart, you cannot worship in spirit and in truth. And the Lord says he's looking for those who worship him in spirit and in truth. There's no truth there when there's unforgiveness in your heart. And so God is not going to honor that. How pathetic for someone to come in and go through the motions of worship in the whole time they've got this bitterness and unforgiveness in their heart toward their fellow man. And that's why church services, a lot of them are dead. That's why spiritual dead churches today, dry altars. Uh, the Bible says that the, the, the spirit moans. We, the, don't, don't cause the spirit to grief. <clears throat> the spirit groans because of false worship. People holding grudges and unforgiveness in their heart. And then, you know, people say, well, they're the ones that done me wrong. They should apologize. They should come to me with forgiveness. Perhaps so. If they're a Christian, they should. But it don't mean they're going to. We have to hold the high road. We've got to be better. We've got to be the ones that say, the Lord tells me I need to forgive, and I've got to forgive. And you can forgive people. It don't mean you'll forget it. It doesn't say in there, forgive and forget. It says to forgive. We will always remember those things that people's done to us. But we don't have to allow it to take over our life and cause us to be bitter and hate our fellow brother or sister. And so, a Christian, we still have to forgive others, no matter what they do to us. The third reason we must forgive others, this is an important one, is because God has forgiven us. God's forgiven us. Look back at our text again, Ephesians 4 and 32. And be you kind one to another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, even as God, for Christ's sake, hath forgiven you. Do you see that? Forgiving one another, even as God, for Christ's sake, has forgiven you. Brother Byron, I, I just can't forgive what so-and-so has done to me. They're an awful person, and they do not deserve forgiveness. It may be true. They may not deserve it. But did you deserve forgiveness? Did any of us deserve to be forgiven from, by the Lord to save us from hell because of our sins? 
Not a one of us. The Bible says in Romans 5 and 8, but God commended his love toward us and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. What are we going to do? Wait until that person comes up, apologizes and grovels and, and whatever. Tell, tell them they'll be your slave and be at your beck and call. Then you're going to forgive them? No, it doesn't work that way. You forgive them despite whatever they're going to do, however they continue to live. The Lord forgave us while we were yet in our sins. He still forgives us while we continue living in sin. God never said in his word that it's going to be easy. A lot of things in life are hard. Just get used to it. You know, you learn over the years. Here, I'm 50, I'll be 56 years old in just a few days, actually. About 30, 30 days. August 3rd, 56. I've learned over the years things are not easy. You know, back when you're a young kid, you may think, well, you know, that, that's no big deal. And, and, you know, I can't wait to grow up and I can show everybody this. No. You'll always wish you could go back. <laughs> but uh, it's, it's never going to be easy. Over in Colossians 3 and 12, the Bible says, Put on, therefore, as the elect of God, holy and beloved, bowels of mercy, kindness and humbleness of mind, meekness, long-suffering, forbearing one another, and forgiving one another. If any man have a quarrel against any, even as Christ forgave you, so also do ye. I believe the Bible's pretty clear here. Are you trying to tell me you're better than the Lord? Somebody hurt me and, and I can't forgive them because they don't deserve it. You tell me that you're better than the Lord? As they nailed his hands and feet to the cross and spit in his face and jabbed that crown of thorns on his head and beat him to a pulp? Oh, yeah, well, I, but that's the Lord, Yeah. And while they were doing that, he was forgiven them. What did he say from the cross? Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. We must forgive others because God's forgiven us. Luke 23 and 33, the Bible says, And when they were come to the place which is called Calvary, there they crucified him and the malefactors, one on the right hand, the other on the left. Then Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Listen, I want to ask you today. Is there someone in your life that has done something to you and it's caused you to be bitter? Caused you to hold unforgiveness in your heart? You're saying, I just can't forgive them. No, there's no way. They're dead to me. Well, listen, we must forgive them. If you're a Christian, you must forgive them because, first of all, Scripture commands it. Second of all, because we're not able to worship God as long as we have unforgiveness in our heart. And third, because God forgave us. We're to follow in the footsteps of Christ. If Christ can forgive this world for what they've done to him and continue to do for him, why can't we forgive that person who's done wrong against us? We can, and like I said, it, it's, not, it's not easy. It's not. Your carnal, fleshly nature will keep you from doing it. It'll hold you back if you allow it to. So it is a choice. You, you have a choice to be bitter, you have a choice to not forgive people, and you have the same choice to not be bitter and to forgive people. It's all up to you. And we can do it from, with the help of the Lord. We can forgive others. Well, let's go to the Lord in prayer. Heavenly Father, God, we thank you for the message today. 
Lord, I'm praying today for those that may have unforgiveness in their heart, this bitterness. Lord, that, that they'll turn to you. Lord, that you will help them with it to get rid of it. Lord, forgive those that's hurt them. Lord, and I know there's a lot of them. Lord, a lot of churches split up. A lot of friends have been ripped apart. A lot of families torn apart over unforgiveness. And God, we're just praying today that you help heal. Lord, to reconcile those that's in this, this case. Lord, I know that, that you can do it. You can help them. Lord, if they'll just allow you to. Lord, if we'll just turn from our, our wickedness and our carnality and turn to you to help us. Help us, Father, and help us reach those who are lost today. Lord, we want to give you the honor, the praise, and the glory for it. For it's these things we ask in Jesus' name. And amen.